Hey everybody, thank you for choosing the Richlands Tabernacle Podcast. Right here every Thursday you will hear two new sermons from the church that were delivered either by Pastor Horton or one of the other ministers from the church. We hope you enjoy. God bless. How many tonight in the house? I was wanting to testify. The Lord has done another great miracle for us. I just wanted to praise him for it. Uh, My sister went back to Charlottesville a few days ago, 
and most of you know she had cancer under the brain and was in the hospital 77 days and it was inoperable and they could not do anything for her. And um, it was at camp meeting five years ago, I believe, when she went in. But anyway, she went back here a few days ago and they did MRIs and they did scans and they did all kinds of things and they could find nothing. The doctor, the doctor, when he told her, he said, we have looked and looked, there's not any swelling, there's not any scar, there's just nothing there, he said. And my sister got, got to feel the Lord and she clapped her hands and she said, it's just a miracle. And the doctor said, I guess those angels are just still walking with you. And that's exactly what it is. I'm so glad that we can have faith in the Lord. Hallelujah, that he can deliver. And when the doctor says there's no hope, they wanted to put her in hospice, and we refused to let them put her in there. That's how bad she was. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord comes through for us, and he still works miracles if we can have faith, and if we will pray, and we will believe and trust in him. And I just love him tonight. I'm so glad, hallelujah, that we can look to him. And she got ready to leave, and he said, I don't want to see you no more for maybe a year. He said, come back in a year and just let me just check to be sure but I'm so thankful that when the Lord performs he does things well hallelujah he still works and he still moves and sometimes we just take the word of a doctor and we don't uh, contradict that or do anything about it but I'm glad when we get on our knees and we're sincere and our tears are flowing and we're seeking our Savior hallelujah that he hears our cry he hears our call and that he loves his children and he wants it's of his good pleasure to do stuff for us and I just want to humble my heart hallelujah and live before the Lord that when I need a prayer answered hallelujah that he will move and he will work hallelujah I feel like we're shortchanging ourselves now in this new age that we're in so many people don't pray and seek the Lord and face hallelujah for what we really need but God will come through and if we can get in on our hearts and pray for our lost and face for them. I feel like old time conviction can grip their hearts again and we can see them come in. Hallelujah. I know the Lord can work. Hallelujah. Oh, he's a great God. And, uh, Brother Ansel's father coined children like that. He was a wicked sinner. He was a wicked sinner and, and making moonshine and stuff. And the Lord, uh, they had had revival and he'd been threatening the preacher and stuff like that. And, and, and they, his wife and the people were praying and seeking the Lord. Hallelujah. And conviction got on him up at the steel. He got saved up there. Hallelujah. And he told somebody, he said, I'm coming to church tonight. And they were afraid because he'd been threatening them. They were afraid they didn't know he had gotten saved. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how wicked we are. And he went on to make a great preacher, not only him, but his son Ansel. And I'm so glad that we can bring conviction down on people and see 
let you down, hallelujah, but hold to the answer, hallelujah, like that song says. If we hold on to the answer, hallelujah, he'll be there. The man that wrote that song, I was in service one night in Kentucky, and he got up to give his testimony about that song. Uh, if you hold on to the answer, he'll be there. And he told how he was so sick, and, and he was just, they gave him up to die, and so many had prayed for him, and, and done all kinds of stuff, and he couldn't get better. He said, but one day somebody just stood in a prayer line for him, and the Lord instantly healed him and raised him up, and he was there singing, hallelujah, as at a camp meeting down in Kentucky, and, and the Lord could do things like that. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's too hard. Sometimes we look at situations and think it's too hard, but it's not too hard for the Lord. There's no such thing as being too hard for the Lord. He can do all things and do them well, and I'm just thankful tonight. Hallelujah for my sister that the Lord spared her life. Hallelujah. He's just so good to us. Well, I certainly thank the Lord for all he's done for us. And uh, I've such a hard head. And you couldn't tell me anything. I didn't know anything. Evidently, I didn't want to know anything either. But I, I thank the Lord for his grace, his love, his mercies, and his riches. And I'm glad he reaches down to a hard-headed sinner like me and breaks down my will. Amen. And leads me to Calvary. Praise God. And there I found peace. Thank God for it, Brother Roger. Amen. Aren't you glad you're saved by the grace of God? Amen. It's not something we made up by ourselves, amen, but it's God gave it to us, amen. Hallelujah. And I love him, and I praise him, and I thank him. God bless you.
drink from day to day it will of the Lord hovering over this place here, and I believe the Lord's going to help us. If you'll turn with us to the book of Ezra, the eighth chapter of Ezra, verse one. These are now the chief of their fathers, and this is the genealogy of them that went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Drop down to verse 15. This, he's, he's got all of these people, the chief fathers, together. And he said, I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava. And there abode we in tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priests and found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eleazar, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, and for Elnathan, and for Jarab, and for Elnathan, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshullam, chief men also for Jarab, and for Elnathan. Then he makes this statement, men of understanding. And the Bible said in verse 17, I sent them with commandment unto Ido the chief at the place of Cassiphia. And I told them, 
that they should say unto Iddo and his brethren, the Nethanims, at the place of Cassiphia, that they should bring unto us ministers of the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Mali, of the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, and dropped down with his sons and his brethren, 18. Verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, Amen. That we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and all of our substance. For I was ashamed to require the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way because we had spoken unto the king saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek Him. But His power and His wrath is against all them that forsake him. So in verse 23, so we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Amen. Now I want you to notice that river Ahava, that river Ahava means I shall subsist. Amen. The will of the Lord is for us to abound. Subsistence farming is that your family, uh, you work all summer long to can up and store to try to make it through the winter. And if your crop fails, then you're going to starve through the winter. That's called subsistence farming. But I want us, the Lord's will he gathered them to the river Ahava, and he called for men of understanding and bring us ministers of the house of the Lord. And they brought us a man of understanding, and we began to seek God of a right way for us and for our little ones. And the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. You know you've got to make right choices. You've got to make a right choice, and and the hand of our God is upon them for good that seek Him. If you seek the Lord, He'll help you. But His power and His wrath is against all them that forsake Him. And so you understand, that means that if you don't seek Him, you're at a crossroads. And so we fasted and besought our God for this, and He was entreated. Well, I'm going to tell you what. It's a very important thing that you beseech the Lord for your future and your life. You cannot make it in this world without seeking the face of God. Amen. You think you can do it? You think you can do it on your own? You think you can make it? Make those decisions on your own? I don't see any way that we can outside the help of the Lord. Drop down to Ezekiel, the 21st chapter, verse 9. This is very serious reading that I've got to read to you here. Son of man... Prophesy, thus saith the Lord, say, a sword, a sword is sharpened and also furbished. Now notice here, notice I didn't just repeat that, the Bible repeats that. Son of man, prophesy, thus saith the Lord, say, a sword, 
A sword is sharpened and also furbished. God issues a double warning there. Amen. It is a final warning. And the Bible said in verse 10, It is sharpened to make a sore slaughter. It is furbished that it may glitter. Should we then make mirth? Or should we have a party knowing that the Lord has got this sword and it's sharpened and it's glittering? The sword of judgment and destruction is fully prepared. Verse 16. Go thee one way or the other, either on the right hand or on the left, whithersoever thy face is set. You understand? If you make up your mind, you've got your face set. I, I loved what Brother Bob said, didn't you? I wanted Brother Bob and Sister Kathy to testify and Brother Bob said he was a hard-headed man. He thought he knew it, but he didn't know anything. And we're all like that, if we will admit it. In our own selves, we're hard-headed, and you can't tell us anything. But I'm so glad that the grace of God reaches out to us. And God said, go thee one way or the other. You can't go two ways at the same time. You're going to go one way or the other, either to the right, or to the left, whithersoever thy face is set. If you have set your face, you're determined to go that way. You can be two-faced. You've heard of people being two-faced, haven't you? Because you can only go one way. It's the right way or the other way. It's right or it's left. Verse 19, also thou son of man, appoint thee two ways. That the sword of the king of Babylon may come. Both twain shall come forth out of one land. And choose thou a place. And choose it at the head of the way to the city. There it is. A point two ways. Choose a place. And it's at the head of the way. It's at a major intersection in life. Amen. Listen to me. I'm going to preach to you here shortly. And he said in verse 20, appoint a way that the sword may come. Verse 21, the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way, at the head of two ways, to use divination. He made his arrows bright. He consulted with images. He looked in the liver. Do you know what looking in the liver means? Amen. They use divination. This is when you do those things that are contrary to the scripture. And uh, do, you, do you read your horoscope? That has as much to do for a child of God as rhubarb growing in Alaska. Nothing. Amen. We don't believe in the horoscope, do we? We don't believe in luck and lucky. We believe in the providence of God and seeking the face of God. And here he said, appoint a way. And he stood at the parting of the way, in the, at the head of two ways to use divination. And there they used, oh man, they got to have them an Ouija board. They're going to cast a spell and do all this stuff. 
and he said he made his hours bright. And he consulted with images, and he looked in the liver. My goodness, you know, when you look at that, they, they, uh, they, they do all of that crazy stuff. They, they, had, they would kill an animal, and these priests would come and take its intestines out. And every way, it's which way the intestines laid in. And they had a, a chart and a graph made of a liver. And, and they had certain gods' names written on, those, on that chart on that liver. And wherever there was uh, uh, anything there uh, that they would make, they could make their decision on, on what the liver of that animal looked like. I'd sure hate to make a decision, a major decision in my life, on the guts of an animal. Hello? Can you say amen? How ridiculous can you be to, uh, to have divination and to cast spells and, and to do all this stuff and, and, try, and try, try to, to divine the will of God by such crazy things? You can understand it's called a hepatoscopy. Amen. Amen. It's liver divination. Amen. And, and there they take those sections and they, and they decide by those marks that are in that liver. And listen, the Bible said, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered in that your transgressions are discovered. Verse 25. Thou profane wicked prince of Israel whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end. I want you to know something. You can live your life and sin all you want to, but your iniquity shall come to an end. And the Bible said in verse 27, listen to these words here. I will overthrow, overthrow, overthrow. In the Bible, there's a comma and then it. And it shall be no more. That is called one of God's trilogies. That is the thing that God says is going to be absolutely sure. It's going to happen. And the Bible said here, The wicked whose day is come, when their iniquity shall have an end. Amen. It's absolutely sure. I will judge thee in the place for thou wast created in the land of thy nativity. I will pour out mine indignation upon thee. I will blow against thee in the fire of my wrath and deliver thee into the hand of brutish men and skillful to destroy. Verse 32. Thou shalt be for fuel to the fire. Thy blood shall be in the midst of the land. Thou shalt be no more remembered. For I, the Lord, have spoken it. Amen. Amen. Brother Aaron, the two weeks ago, our Tuesday, I went and spoke to your dad. And he got to talking to me. And I was telling him about us getting the lease there on the property there uh, for the, uh, the church here for 99 years. Amazing how God helped me. But And he got to talking to me. And he said, Brother Philip, you remember when we bought this land? And I said, yes, you remember. I did all the bid work on it all. And wound up never got one square inch of it. I did it all. I'm serious. I've still got all the paperwork. Amen. And he said, when we, 
we could look and see. We were Sister Dorsey, remember we were trying to find the cemetery. We knew it was there. And we'd get off over on the other hill and we could see that tree. And we knew it was there, but we couldn't find our way to it. And we finally found our way over to it. Mike said that we were in the back of the Brother Ralph's truck and the weeds were taller than us. And I stepped off the truck down into that cemetery. And the first tomb rock I saw, this is what Brother Mike said in our last conversation. And he said, I looked at that tomb rock and it said, gone but not forgotten. And he said, I turned and I looked at that tomb rock and he said, friend, you're not only gone, but you're forgotten. Amen. He said, you shall be remembered no more. Amen. For I, the Lord, have spoken it. I want to tell you something. I want to speak to somebody about the fork in the road. I want to talk to you tonight about the fork in the road. Amen. The fork in the road is a metaphor. The fork in the road is a metaphor based on a literal expression for a deciding moment in life or history. When a choice between... Those present options is required. And once made, that choice cannot be reversed. You are at the fork in the road. They make fun of it. There was a crack coming uh, in the road at one of the places out west. And somebody made a huge fork and stuck the fork up in the middle of the road and said, it's a fork in the road. But I want to tell you, it's more than that. There's a common Russian tale uh, folk tale there where there was a Russian knight and he came to a fork in the road and he saw a marker there road to the left road to the right and there was a marker a big marker in the middle there was a skull and a skeleton laying there by the side of the road and the inscription on that marker said if you ride to the left you'll lose your horse. If you ride to the right, you'll lose your head. Amen. And there's a Victor uh, Vasnetsov uh, made a portrait of that, that knight there. His, he's on his big white stallion. His spear's hanging down. And the stallion is tired. He's trying to get to where he's going. Amen. But he's at the crossroads. He's at the fork in the road. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to lose your horse. You don't have to lose your head. Just turn around and go back. You don't have to go to the left or the right. You can make an about face. Stop going down that foolish path of death and destruction. All right? Just turn around. Stop the way you're going. Oh, my Lord. The, the poem, there's a poem called The Road Not Taken. It's by Robert Frost. It was first published in 1915. Its central theme is the divergence of paths. Amen. Both literally and figuratively. I'm telling you, you can make a choice in life that will lead you away. Or you can make the choice in life that will lead you to the path of righteousness. And so uh, 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 Robert Frost went to England from 1912 to 1915. And he had an acquaintance. His name was Edward Thomas. He was a famous writer there in England. 
and so they would walk together, take long walks through the English countryside. And he said, uh, and Thomas was indecisive uh, about which road to take. And, and in retrospect, he often lamented that we should have taken the other road. Any, anybody ever felt like that? I should have done this. And you're living your life. Amen. Well, when you take that road, it kind of takes you down that road that you, and that life gets a hold of you and you can't turn around. Amen. Listen to me. And so he always was fussing and worrying about the road that he didn't take. And so when he returned to New Hampshire in 1915, he wrote this poem. The road not taken. And he sent it. He sent a copy of it to Thomas, Fra uh, Thomas uh, Edward Thomas there. And, uh, and so Edward Thomas took it very seriously. 1915, guess what's going on? World War I. And it so troubled him that he decided, this great writer decided to enlist in the British Army and Edward Thomas was killed two years later at one of the great battles that England was fighting. Amen. The road not taken. Let me read you that poem, please. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. You can't travel the path of righteousness and the path of this, of this world. I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just a fair and having perhaps the better claim. Because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves. No step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing... How way leads on to way. I doubted if I should ever come back. Amen. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence. Two, two roads diverge in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And thou hast made, and that has made all the difference. And that has made all the difference. When you are in life's forks in the road, you better make sure you have the will of God before you make that choice. You better make sure that you know God is speaking to you when you make that choice. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, Judas Iscariot made one wrong choice. What, what happened? He, he was chosen of Jesus Christ. He was the treasure. He was a good man. He was a saved man. You can say what you want to. And there was something happened to Judas Iscariot. And he made that wrong choice. And when that choice was made, that controlled all of his other decisions. And he went into an immediate downward spiral. You know, I got to thinking about this and I went to bed last night. I've been studying about this and praying about it. And, and uh, my Uncle Vernie, that's my mother's youngest brother. Amen. He was the most agile. He was unbelievable. I remember uh, uh, Sister Sarah, Chris Plaster's 
uh, grandpa, after talking to me and Brother Ralph at the funeral home one night, and he said, I come home from, from the war, and he said, I, he said, I, I, we were down at the Moonlight Inn, and he said, I made a bad mistake. I picked a fight with Bernie Whited. They were cousins. And he said, I'm telling you, he whipped me so fast I didn't know what had happened to me. Amen. My Uncle Bernie was such an agile, fast man. But you know what? I remember him talking about it. He was rebellious at 12. Amen. He ran away when he was only 14 years old. He packed his suitcase and uh, Grandpa and Grandma couldn't do anything with him. He packed his suitcase I'm leaving home. And he was going down Pine Creek, leaving home. And a bird, as he was going down, a bird flew into it. And Grandma and Grandpa were praying people, godly people, and full of the Holy Ghost. And they went to prayer. And a bird flew into his face, fluttered right into his face, and kept flying into his face. You know, a lot of times if, you, if a bird's got young, uh, they'll do that to protect her young. But as he went on down the, the path and down the way, leaving home, that bird kept flying in his face and kept flying in his face and he kept going and the bird kept flying in his face and then finally he realized it was not a mother bird but it was the Spirit of God trying to stop him from going down the wrong road. And he went home. He went back home and apologized to Grandma and Grandpa. But at, by 15, he was married. And by 21, he was in a mining accident that literally he was loading coal. And a rock fell right there on the edge of that coal car and literally cut my uncle in two. You understand, he was at a tent revival that my dad was preaching. And he stood up to go to the altar. And his wife tugged on his coattail. And he sat back down. And he went home that night. And he told his wife, things are going to be different around here. And he told her she was going to pack his bucket. He said, there's no need to pack my bucket tonight. Because he was killed before it was lunchtime at the mines. Amen. Oh God, I'm talking to somebody very serious tonight about the fork in the road. Amen. Amen. You know, Brother Aaron, I don't see where he went to, but we just buried Brother Mike. And I remember this. He had the car door open. His friends had invited him to get in a car with them and go for a ride. He had the car door open and one foot in. And Sister Sandy Sayers, your brother, Paul McGraw, hollered, Hey, Mike, let's go to Big Tomlin fishing. And Mike turned and looked at Paul and he said, I believe I will. And took his foot out and stepped away and closed the door. Those young folks left from up here at Bandy's, V&D restaurant now. They left and with less than ten minutes, all of them but one were dead. I'll never forget that Sunday morning at our 
table because we always would be eating breakfast. Carter Wells would come on and preach and then they would have the daily obituaries. Amen at 8.50. And they started calling out the names. Kent Farkerson. Kent Farkerson. Oh, I went to school with him. He lives in Lake Park. His mom, Lorraine, is Bob Mullen's secretary. Kent Farkerson's dead. And then they said, Urshel Slate, your cousin, Sister Geraldine. They called out the name. Oh, God. And they kept calling out those names. My goodness. Oh, I'm telling you what. The fork in the road. The path. Amen. The point where a choice and one of two possibilities has to be taken. My Lord. It's a junction in which one road becomes divergent roads with totally different destinations a fork in the road is a deciding moment in life when a major choice is required the path presents the traveler with a navigational dilemma which path to take on their way to their destination amen you understand brother Mike closed that door and then we were in revival in 1970 Huge revival, huge revival. Way over 175 people were saved in that revival and prayed for salvation. Most of them young people. Amen. And Mike Stevenson's family came here to church. Frazier and Lizzie Stevenson in the old church sat over to the, over in the right back by, behind where you're sitting, Brother Benny. And there, they, Frazier had a car locked there at Claypool Hill. And they would bring their children to church. And uh, Mike wasn't a Christian, but and, and he and Mike Roberts were out, and he said, "Well, everything's shut down as the snow on, but I'm telling you where where there will be the best show in town tonight." This is Mike Stevenson. He said, "It'll be down at the Tabernacle." He said, "Don't you go? Let's go watch it." Amen. And they went, and then the uh, next day or so, I saw Mike. And they were together at the Tasty Freeze in Cedar Bluff. Y'all don't even remember there was a Tasty Freeze in Cedar Bluff. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Well, yeah. And they were there at the Tasty Freeze. And Mike had a big chew tobacco in his jaw. Oh. Amen. He'd made one major decision to live when he closed that door. Amen. When Basil was driving away, Basil the driver was the only one that lived. Amen. My goodness. But he had another major choice to make. And I, pull, I saw him standing there and I turned into the parking lot. And I said, hey, hey guys. And then I said, Mike. I said, was glad to have you in church there. And I said, won't you come back? And he had a big chew and then he couldn't talk. And he had to spit in his cup. And then he said, well, I believe, you know how Mike could get in that real high pitch. Well, I believe I might do that. And he came back and he got saved. Amen. It was a fork in the road. You make that decision. You make that decision. Amen. Led Zeppelin's song, Stairway to Heaven. Yes, there are two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And I want to tell you, it's now or never. Amen. You listen to me. Amen. We can hear Ezra begin to fast and pray. 
I'm telling you what, if you've got major choices in life, the best advice I can give to you is make sure you fast and pray and seek the will of God before you make that decision. Amen. And so there, there they are. Do you want to live at a haven, the place of subsistence, when God wants you to live where you can abound? You can have the blessings of life. You can have all those good things. Amen. Oh, we want to seek Him for a right way for us. We want to seek Him for a right way for our little ones. We want to seek Him for a right way for all of our substance. I'm telling you, amen. Oh, you can live your life the way you want to, but you need to live it according to the will of God. Amen. The Bible said in Proverbs 12 and 28, in the way of righteousness is life. Can you say amen? In the way of righteousness is life. And the Bible makes a contrast in here. And in the pathway thereof there is no death. Hallelujah. Well, I'm telling you, when you, somebody said, I, I've, I'm glad I sowed my wild oats when I was young. And, and uh, you don't have to sow wild oats. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to take that fork in the road. You're going to lose your horse on the left. You're going to lose your head to the right. It's time to turn around and go back the way you came, friend. Hallelujah. It's time to seek the Lord Jesus Christ till he comes and reigns righteousness among you. You don't have, you don't have to travel that road. Oh, God. Oh, listen. Listen to that last stanza again. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Some were ages and ages hence. Amen. Two roads diverge in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. I want to tell you something. The way of the world is a broad road. And the broad road leads to where? Destruction. But the straight and narrow path leads unto life everlasting. I'll tell you what, we want to take the road less traveled. This world is following a wicked, evil path. But the child of God, we're going to take the one less traveled. And he said, and that has made all the difference. Aren't you glad, Brother Chad, that there was a day that you changed your mind? I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of this life. I'm going to turn around and look at your beautiful family that is with you tonight because you came to the fork in the road and you said I choose righteousness amen amen there's a point at which you must make a decision between two drastically different choices there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to avoid at all costs amen are you hearing me I said, there's a heaven to gain with all that's in you. It'll take effort on your part to gain heaven. And there's a hell to avoid at all costs. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 10 and 27, amen. Oh, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, amen. But the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Did you hear me? Amen. The, year, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. 
It is so amazing. Amen. After all this time, the people that I went to school with and the life and the changes that take place because they made the wrong choice in life. Oh, God. Amen. Amen. Brother Roger and Sister Brenda, you know, I was Sister Brenda's next-door neighbor as a child. We went to school. We rode the bus from the first grade for years and years. We graduated together. When we went over to the community college, we studied together. Brother Roger's dad, his grandpa, we were here. We grew up here in the church together. Amen. We got saved. Oh, God, we planned on having a double wedding. But Roger and Brenda decided not to wait till June, and they went ahead and got married. Amen. But here we are. Here we are. I'm approaching my 50th wedding anniversary. I'm getting ready to turn 70. Amen. And you know, when I had this foreboding feeling over me, I had this feeling for years and weeks it, over me that I would not live to see 21. Amen. I would not live to see 21. I had that feeling. I, and, uh, you know, and I, 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 I had a great experience. Dad pastored the church at Little Garden. And there the Lord saved me as a little boy. And there I lost the Spirit of God. I cheated for the Presbyterian pastor. Can you imagine the tabernacle pastor's son cheated for the Presbyterian pastor's daughter? Amen. And I felt the Spirit of God leave me that day. Yeah, Cynthia Hollenhead, James B. Hollenhead, pastor of Richlands Presbyterian. Amen. She didn't get her work, and I did it for her. Amen. And the Spirit of God left me. But there it was. Amen. I was so bitter. Can you, can I, can I share my life story just a little bit? I was so bitter at the way some people treated my father. I literally hated him. Because, number one, my dad, in all of his ministry, until he was an old man, supported himself. You hear me? My dad worked in the mines. My dad built coal tipples, and he supported himself. He received the Sunday night offering at the tabernacle. He pastored two and three churches. He averaged preaching. You listen to me. Amen. My dad did some things wrong in his old age, but my dad averaged preaching 355 nights a year. You go try it and work in the mines too and build coal tipples. You go try it. Average getting in bed 11, 12 o'clock and, and getting up at 4 and 5 o'clock the next morning and go at it again like fighting fire and preach 4,000 funerals. You try it for a while. Amen. Oh, God. Amen. And they told when Dad built the home place house over there, we, we, when Dad come home from preaching the funeral, we lived our door in. Go down our Doran, and you see that Doran sign. Dad owned the Doran post office straight across from that sign. That was where the Doran post office was. And then was our house, a three-story house in the middle. And then Dad owned the Amico service station there. And then the Cordles owned there. And then Sister Brenda's mother's store. And the Fosters had a fruit market. We were in the middle of a metropolitan area. You go up the road there to Jake Cordell, had a used furniture store, Tom and Ruth's. I mean, you could go to Tasty Freeze and get a Tasty Burger. You could go up there to camp and he'd cut you higher. We could get anything you needed back then. 
But my dad come home from preaching the funeral, and they, some of them had beat me up. And so my cousin had come down, and Naoma, and we were all out there with sticks and shovels, and we was declared war on the foster kids. And they were lined up, we were lined up in warfare. And Dad come home from, and there we were lined up. We were up on the high ground. We were throwing rocks at them, and they were throwing rocks at us. And Dad lifted his hand, and he said, Lord, if you'll help me, I'll get my children out of this place. And so Dad was able to buy over here. Back then, that was out of town, over there on the hill there above Hankins, across from Hankins Cemetery. Dad bought 16 acres in there. We, kept, we had two milk cows. We had a horse, and we had the farm there. It was beautiful, and we were out in the middle away from everybody. Amen. Oh, and they told that Dad stole the money out of the church treasury to build his house. When he sold the Doran Post Office to Mel Lawson to get going with it, and he ran out of money, and he sold the Amico Station to finish the house up. And besides, number one, there wasn't even a treasury. People, a lot of people didn't believe in paying tithes. And that was Brother Ralph and Brother Bob and Harvey Coleman. And, and all of those young folks got saved and they wanted to pay tithes and put it in a church treasury. So it wasn't established until what, 1963? And I want to tell you something, the difference, the old tabernacle, everything was run down and old. The roof was leaking and everything was all out of shape. And when we started, when they started treasury, and we started working, we put in new windows, we put a new roof, we got new pews, we got air conditioning for the first time, we got a central heat and air conditioning. Oh, Brother Crabtree didn't have to build the fire any longer. Oh, no, there was a change. And, and then the... the I was walking down the alley there when Mr. McLaughlin walked out to Dad. And he said, Brother Horton, that's where the dining hall is now. We were walking down the alley together. He's, and he'd lived there for years and years. And he said, Brother Horton, your church is growing and you need my property. And I want to sell it to you. Dad said, okay, how much you want? And they, and they made the agreement standing right there at that. But we were standing in the alley and we made the agreement. And we bought that and tore that uh, down and built the dining hall. You listen to me. I'm telling you, God is a God who takes care of his people. But I was so angry and bitter at those people. And I graduated. I was graduating from high school. And I was going away to college. And I said, I'll never be back here again. I hate this stuff. And they persuaded me to run the concession stand. Amen. And I stayed out there under her Scott tent over in the corner under the shade tree. Amen. Where the family center is now. Amen. I stayed there and I sold candy and stuff to the kids. And, and so Buford Smith, pastor at Tookland, was fasting and praying and fasting and prayed all that week. Amen. And so they went all the way to Saturday then. They would give out all the awards, and then they would take the people over and baptize them in the river. After the, uh, that was, so it was awards on Saturday morning, and then they went home around noon, whatever. And uh, 
So I thought, well, it's safe to go in to watch the awards. And I went in, and I plopped down on the front seat on the rostrum of the old church. And we had a sit-in. You remember, Brother Roger, when they had the sit-in? Because uh, it was the style to wear no socks and penny loafers. And, uh, and so and, and they made, started demanding that we wear socks to school. And so they had a big city in our Rich Sands High School over that. Anyhow, I sat down on the front seat on the rostrum, and my pants come up, and there my white legs was shining. I didn't have any socks on and my penny loafers on, except I had dimes in them because in case I got out and the car broke down, I could have a dime or two there that I could make a phone call from a pay phone booth. The Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost fell. And the Spirit of God began to move. Desi Allen, yeah, that's I'm calling names. Y'all don't even know Desi Allen was a young preacher and backslid. His dad was Brother Allen, who could could quote entire chapters and preach. Brother Ellis Allen quote and preach. And Desi was sitting there, and the Holy Ghost spoke to Desi, come. And Desi ran to the altar and got saved. Somebody else come. And I said, Woo, time for me to get out of Dodge. And so I slipped out through the side room and then the old church. There was a bathroom and then there was a back door. We closed it up. Amen. I slipped to the restroom and went out the back door. And I came to a fork in the road. And her name was Doris Horton, was the fork. And she was standing there sobbing. And she said, Philip, you're just like my brother Roy Lee. Please, please don't go away. Give your heart to God now. Amen. Oh, I was so full of rebellion. It made me so mad. She's keeping me from going the way I want to go. Amen. Amen. And, and they all gathered around me. And I, people, different ones speaking to me. But my dad had worked so hard in the mines. There were 1,500 coal loaders at Jewel Valley. Are you listening to me? 1,500 coal loaders loading coal by hand at Jewel Valley. And they were awarded the top 10 coal loaders. And my dad stayed in the top 10 coal loaders at Jewel Valley among 1,500 men. You tried. Amen. He was unbelievably strong. Amen. And he had worked in the mines and all that bad air and all of that for all those years. And when he wasn't getting enough oxygen, he'd do just like Brother Mike's foot did. Brother Mike's feet and legs turned purple. Dark, dark purple. Did they not, Brother Aaron? Turned dark, dark purple. And my dad's face, when, I, when somebody said, look up. When I looked up, my dad was so weary. And he bent over and he had both hands on his knees. And when I looked at him, he was purple. And that broke me. I grew up in his home and I knew how he preached and lived. And that broke me and I ran to an altar and I got saved. I'm telling you, I'm so glad that I, when I come to the forks of the road, I made the right choice. I made the choice to seek Jesus Christ. And you, there's somebody listening to me tonight. You are at the forks in your road. And if you don't make the right choice, it will be bad, bad, bad days for you ahead.
I said, it will be bad, bad, bad days for you ahead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please. I'm sorry. Amen. I've got more I wanted to say, but amen. Time has run out on me. You need to go home and read Ezra 8. But here's the crux of the story. Ezra, they're getting ready to try to go back to Jerusalem. That's like the child of God trying to make it to heaven. We're trying to make it to Jerusalem. And we don't know how to make it. And so he calls for these men of understanding. Don't make any choices. Don't go to your pound friend and ask him for advice. Somebody doesn't know a, a nickel about finance, you're going to ask them about borrowing major money? How crazy can you get? At least talk to a banker or a financial advisor of some kind, but don't do that. My Lord. And so he said, let's call for men of understanding. And they brought those men of understanding. Ministers. Amen. And we want to seek of God a right way for us. And you understand, when you miss it, you're going to cause your little ones to miss it. Your children's going to be affected by that wrong decision that you make. We've got to come to the The hand of our God. It's upon all them for good that seek Him. But His power and His wrath is against all that forsake Him. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And He was entreated of us. I want to tell you something. If you'll seek God, He'll help you. They fasted and they prayed. And the Lord heard them. And the Lord directed them. And they made it all the way to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, if you'll pray and you'll fast and you'll seek the face of God, He'll be entreated of you. And He will hear you. And He will answer you. And He will keep you. And you can make it all the way to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Bow your heads for prayer. Our Father, how we love you. How we love you and we magnify you for your great grace and mercy to us. Oh, God. Oh, God, Lord, I feel and I know there are families, there are people that are in the fork of the road. If they take that road to the left, they'll lose the horse. They'll lose their transportation. They'll lose all the convenience of life. But when you take that road to the right, you're going to lose your head. My God, you can't live without your head. It's time to turn around and go back the way you came our father deal with somebody right this night deal with somebody lord they're at the forks of the road and if they don't change oh god it'll be a very 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 sad day please deal with us deal with us and strengthen us and touch us and we'll praise you in jesus name come on church come on church let's seek the face of the lord